Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. A Colorado museum is taking on the ambitious task of recalling one of the worst single attacks on Native people by the U.S. government in history. History Colorado conducted years of consultations with tribes in order to display text, photos, artifacts, and historical context related to the 1864 Sand Creek Massacre. What was once billed as a battle victory is now viewed as a deplorable act of violence, and efforts are underway to remove any honors to those involved. We'll hear more about the exhibit right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Tribal college and university students from across the country were honored Tuesday night in Albuquerque by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium. Students were awarded for their skills in knowledge, sports, and arts after three days of competition in various events at the consortium's 2023 conference. 37 students from Oglala Lakota College in South Dakota traveled to New Mexico. Don Tobacco Frank is president of the college. She says while students enhanced their skills at the gathering, they learned valuable lessons back at their TCUs. The importance of tribal colleges and universities is to make that broader impact within the communities to really strengthen and the culture, the language to help produce students who uh, graduate in whatever fields that the tribal colleges offer in order for them to go back and work, fulfill their own individual goals. A majority of our students want to help uh, return back to their reservations to help or to their homelands and help their people. Oglala Lakota College serves the Pine Ridge Reservation and also has a satellite location in Rapid City and on the Cheyenne River Reservation, offering degrees in business, social work, nursing, and other fields. Longtime leader of the Navajo Nation, Peterson Zaw, passed away Tuesday in Arizona, the Navajo Times reports. Zaw was chairman of the Navajo Council in the 1980s before becoming the first president of the Navajo Nation in 1990, when the tribe shifted its government system. He's being remembered for his lifelong advocacy for Navajo people, including encouraging young people to finish school and pursue higher education. He reportedly had complications with cancer and was 85 years old. Three Yupik mushers from southwest Alaska are among some of the most experienced racers in this year's Iditarod. The 1,000-mile sled dog race from Anchorage to Nome got underway Sunday. Former Iditarod champ Pete Kaiser from Bethel finished off his seventh win of the Kuskokwim 300. He's one of the racers to watch, as well as two mushers who've had successful past finishes, Richie Deal of Aniak and Mike Williams Jr. from Akiak. Williams has returned to the Iditarod after taking a break from the race. Bev Hoffman, a Yupik musher and a longtime Cusco 300 organizer, has spent decades working to bring Alaska Native mushers back into the sport, which in the early years of the Iditarod had a crowded field of Native mushers, later eclipsed by a well-financed group of career mushers who could afford to train year-round. Hoffman says it's rewarding to see the three mushers. I think all their chances are great. Mike was downplaying his own Ray's saying that he didn't have a lot of training, but he's done real well in the local races here. Pete and Richie last year, they did real well, and then and they have tough dogs, and the, the year Pete won was on this route. 
Kaiser won the Iditarod in 2019 and finished fifth last year. Deal has run the Iditarod 10 times and finished right behind Kaiser last year in sixth place. Williams Jr. is running his eighth race of the Iditarod. This year's race has the smallest number of contenders on record, which Hoffman believes improves their chances for success, given their experience in not just the Iditarod, but the Kuskokwim 300, a 300-mile race on the frozen Kuskokwim River. Our training is so tough out here. You just get hit with everything, ice, overflow. And I think that all better prepares these teams from this area. Hoffman says many past Iditarod champs came to Bethel to compete to toughen up their teams. Iditarod standings can be followed online at Iditarod.com. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean and Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Support for the menu comes from Spirit Mountain Roasting Company, a small batch specialty coffee roaster located on the Fort Yuma Quetzon Reservation. Information and online ordering at spiritmountainroasting.com slash news. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Colorado elected leaders are currently discussing renaming one of the state's famed 14,000-foot peaks. Mount Evans was named after John Evans, the Civil War-era governor who praised the military leaders who carried out what's known today as the Sand Creek Massacre. The name change proposal comes as History Colorado presents an exhibit about the massacre that was completed with consultation with tribal stakeholders. The Sand Creek Massacre is recognized as one of the worst atrocities against Native people in history. The exhibition now at the History Colorado Center in Denver is titled The Sand Creek Massacre, The Betrayal That Changed Cheyenne and Arapaho People Forever. We'll hear what it took to get the history right in this instance. We'd also like to hear from you. Join our conversation by calling in today at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also post on our social media page. Our Twitter handle is also 180099native. We want to warn our listeners that we will be talking about disturbing details today related to violent deaths of Native women, children, and elders in a historical context. Listeners sensitive to such language might want to skip today's show. Joining us now from Concho, Oklahoma, is Chester Whiteman. He is the Cheyenne Coordinator of the Culture Program of the Cheyenne and Arapaho Tribes. He is Southern Cheyenne. Jester, welcome to Native America Calling. Good afternoon. Good Glad afternoon to be here. You as well. You bet. You bet. Great to have you on the show, Chester. Also joining us from Concho, Oklahoma, is Fred Mosqueda. He is the Arapaho Language and Culture Program Coordinator for the Cheyenne and Arapaho Tribes of Oklahoma. He is Arapaho. Fred, welcome to Native America Calling as well. Glad to be here. Thank you. 
And joining us from Denver, Colorado, is Sam Bach. He is the Publications Director for History Colorado. Sam, welcome to Native America Calling. Thanks for having me. Chester, I'd like to begin with you. Uh, this is the second time that the museum has attempted to portray the Sand Creek Massacre. We'll get around to discussing what happened the first time in a moment, but I first want to hear from you about what people who go to the History Colorado exhibit will see. Um, I would like, like for them to um, see the lifestyle that we had and It really doesn't show anything uh, except for the interviews and which documentation on the uh, massacre. You know, it's a it's a it's a lifestyle that we had before this 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 uh, horrendous act that took place on November 29th. 1864. Uh, we we tried to put our truth in it, and it did come out how um, this happened and things like that, and what it how it affected us. It still affects us today. Well, Chester, thank you for for starting us off there and uh, the lifestyle. Uh, an exhibit to uh, portray accurately the lifestyle uh, of your people and, and these other tribal people as well. Fred, I'd like to pivot to you now. And when did you first become involved in the exhibition? Um, I started uh, to become involved in about 2018 when I, when I um, began this position that I have now. And uh, what was your motivation to get involved exactly? Well, what happened was that um, they kind of uh, stated that they needed somebody that knew the history of the Rapo people to, to become involved with this with Sand Creek uh, Massacre site. And so I was uh, assigned as one of the uh, NAGPRA representatives for the Shine Rapo tribes. Now, Fred, have you worked with other exhibits uh, or portrayals of the Sand Creek Massacre in the past? No, I did not. This was my first um, first attempt at, uh, at working at an exhibit. And now, here we are. It's been a, almost 160 years uh, since this, this tragic event in your people's history. And, and what does it mean? for the Arapaho tribe now, this new exhibition and all these new insights and so much input from, from Native leaders such as yourself? I believe that the, the, the story that is provided right there to history about the Sand Creek Massacre, it tells the story of our people. As my brother Chester said, you know, it, it portrays our lifestyle before, it talks about before, during and after, and they and then our people can go to it and look at it, and they can see interviews, they can see um, quotes, they can see pictures, and and this strikes close to home to, for them, so that they can actually see that their story, their people, they can trace their people by these pictures and these quotes 
these stories. And so it, it touches close to home that way. Fred, I, I understand that there are no actual artifacts uh, from the actual time of the massacre. There are some some objects, but they're more contemporary, post nineteenth century. Or even, why is that exactly? When when we started to do this, <clears throat> one of the things we didn't want was to show those um, results of the atrocities. We wanted to tell the story. We wanted to be. But we didn't want to have those things because they tend to be too close, you know, to our people. And, and we didn't want that to be it, – it's sad enough the way it is without having to look at, at the, the objects from the site. I can understand. Absolutely. And um, and what kind of uh, guidance or expertise did you offer – offer the project and, and able to make sure that it was uh, culturally and historically accurate? Well, what happened is that the, the staff from history began, they, they, they knew, they're the experts on how to tell this story. They knew what they wanted to tell. So they began to tell, ask us what we knew, our expertise on, on different areas, objects, time frames. Everything, you know, they sit down and just talked with us, and we just provided information, more information, our own, you know, stories, personal stories such as this. And they took all that information and they made this story that's being told by history right now. And this being such a painful event uh, for so many people involved, and why is it uh, not only important uh for the Arapaho people to tell this story, but but what is it that you want uh, everyone to understand who, who comes to see this exhibit? I think the the whole history, you know, of that that was never been told before, the history of the Shine Arapaho people, from the time that we were there on the Front Range, has never been told. You know, you see the street signs, you see the names, you see the, you know, everything has names for the Shine Rapo in Colorado, but we're not there. And so when I went to Boulder one time, the people were saying, told me just exactly that. We see the signs, we see the chief's name, but this is the first time I've ever seen a Cheyenne or an Arapaho. So I think it's important that we tell our history, that they know where we were, what we did, and, and how, what happened to us, why we're not there today. That, that story needs to be told. Fred, I think like many people, I grew up, uh, I, I learned about the Sand Creek Massacre. I, I read about it, and, and I remember, you know, taking some college courses and, and, and learning about it, Native American history courses. Um, but it, it sounds like this is just so long overdue, this uh, this new telling of, of the history. And uh, why has it taken so long, do you think, to, to get this story right? I believe that, you know, because of the the um, the way that the country is, you know, prior to uh, maybe, you know, when the beginning of this started, 
this this venture. Uh, the history books only told the history uh, of that they wanted to tell. They only told uh, history like from from the I'm going to say from the white man's point of view, <clears throat> and that's how they told the story. That's how they told history. You know, we we were not important enough to be part of that history. So that's that's the reason I believe that 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 story was never told. You know, what is it? That, um, my brother always says his story, his story, <laughs> not ours. You know, he always says it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense for sure. We're talking with Fred Mosqueda, and he is the Arapaho Language and Culture Program Coordinator for the Cheyenne Arapaho Tribes of Oklahoma. Also on the show is Chester Whiteman, and he is the Cheyenne Coordinator for the Culture Program of the Cheyenne Arapaho Tribes. And of course, Chester is Southern Cheyenne. And we've got a third guest on the show, Sam Bach, who's joining us from Denver, Colorado. And he's the lead exhibit developer for the Sand Creek Massacre Exhibition and a historian for History Colorado. Uh, anyone listening on the show today, uh, we're really curious to hear what your thoughts are on this topic, this new exhibition there in Denver, Colorado. It is titled The Sand Creek Massacre, The Betrayal That Changed Cheyenne and Arapaho People Forever. Give us a call with your insights. If you have a question for any of our guests, they're here to answer them. Uh, phone number is one 800 996 2848. Once again, 1 800 996 2848. Stay with us. We will be right back. The largest gathering of indigenous nerds is back. Indigipop X starts up in Oklahoma City with comics, native science fiction, celebrities, and everything pop culture. We'll talk with the organizers to get a preview of what to expect this year. That's all coming up on the next Native America Calling. If you are age 45 years or older, it may be time to talk with your health care professional about colon cancer screening. Medicare, Medicaid, and the marketplace have you covered. For more information, visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Whether you're a new listener or a longtime follower, thank you for tuning in today to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with those involved in putting together an exhibition that aims to tell an accurate and sensitive history account of the Sand Creek Massacre. The exhibition is at the History Colorado Center in Denver. You can join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We have Chester Whiteman on the show now. And Chester, as we mentioned in the beginning, this is not the first time that the museum has attempted to tell the story of the Sand Creek Massacre. And I believe you were involved earlier when it was when they attempted to do so. Can you tell us about uh, how that went when it first was attempted? I, I don't think I was involved in that. That was, I was, I was an actor rep in 2006. Then 
politics reared its ugly head, and I got removed. And after that, uh, um, I don't know who was who was in my position at that time, but I don't think they had a tribal consultation. No From tribal what I'm understanding, there was there was no tribal consultation on that exhibit. Okay. So they were asked to re- they were asked to remove it. Did you get a chance to see that exhibit, or are you familiar with any of the details that they got wrong? No, I I wasn't, or I didn't. So I don't know I don't know what it looked like or what what it had in it, or who put it together, mm-hmm. as far as that goes. And Chester, when you got involved in in this uh, current exhibit, uh, tell us a little bit more about some of the insights that you were able able to provide to to the folks that were putting the exhibit together. Well, we did a, we we did a lot of research, my brother and I, and we got a lot of stories, and we had we had uh, reps before us that didn't quite understand what they were doing. Uh, we, when we first started, we were uh, putting these positions to tell the truth and to represent our people. And that's what we did. We got, we got the truth out. Like, like I've always been saying is, you know, there's two, two histories in this, in this world, the government history and the Cheyenne and Arapaho history. And the Cheyenne and Arapaho history has not been told. The government uh, history is in all the schools. Mm -hmm. The Cheyenne and Arapaho history needs to be in the schools to be, to educate the people that don't know us. We're, we're, we're still thought of as a, conquered tribe but we were never conquered we're the only one of the only tribes that ever defeated the United States government in battle and captured the flag and still hold it today so they owe they owe reparations to the Cheyenne Rappel people as well as the Lakota Sioux and a few other tribes but um, you know we we um, we wanted to tell the truth to get it out to the people and to educate everybody, and we still need to do that. There's a lot of people that are misinformed about this, and if if they would if they would go to the exhibit, they could see a a, a glimpse of of our way of life, our lifestyle, and what happened to us. We're just like the um, like the buffalo. They almost wiped us out, but we came back, and we came back strong, stronger than what we were during this during this atrocity. The the government took about two thirds of our of our leadership out when they hit hit Sand Creek. They they put our they put our leadership in and our way of life made it unbalanced where 
we're still we're still trying to recover from that today. We have 44 chiefs, and I think there was 23 or 24 that got got murdered at that location. Mm. So we're we're still trying to uh, recoup from that. And some some folks, it still it still hits home when they go to that location because yeah, they and, know what happened there. And Chester, that that um, it makes me curious, you know, on, on a personal level, uh, just listening to you now and to hear those numbers that you just described, the loss of life. And uh, how was it for you just on a personal level, just having to revisit this tragic history uh, as part of this project uh, and others uh, as well? Did you folks, um, you know, have to prepare for that in any way? You know, I... Um... When I when I first went to that location, that uh, there's a spirit there, you know, of survival, and you can feel it, and that instinct takes off. It takes over when you're at that location. That that fighting spirit that's inside each one of our Cheyenne and Rapal people, and it 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 kind of scared me. Because, you know, that that happened over 160 years ago or someplace around that area that mm-hmm. time. And it still it still comes up. That spirit, that spirit's still around. It's still ready to do battle. You know, I'm a I'm a I'm a Cheyenne dog soldier in our traditional government. And, you know, it, it's it's always you don't back down. And that always comes into play in my life today. Um, we try our best to get along with everybody. We don't provoke anything. We try to try to get along in this colonized world today. They took they took everything away from us, you know, but we still have it. Just and, a really. A- Appreciate all your perspective. I'm sorry, I I do want to uh, take a couple of calls, though, because we've got the lines going now. And uh, first uh, up, we have Shanupa, who's listening on Keeley in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Shanupa, hello. Hello, glad to have you guys. Hey, Wopilat Chanka to my Chichista brothers. You know, what my brothers are talking about is very, very true because... You know, my grandfather, who was laid down here at the Wounded Knee Massacre site, he was murdered down here in 1890. His name is No Ears, Nuche Nietzsche. And him and Crazy Horse and them were together when they driven some of the, the, the white farmers and ranchers that did this murder on our Titista people down there. They had to drive them back. Even that's not recorded. Our people still hang on to that. So I was hoping... That an Arapahoe brother of mine, Devin Oldman, would come on. Hopefully he might come on. And a young lady uh, named Jenny Amenihides from the Blackfeet country. So, brothers, keep up. We're on, our, we're on your side, the Lakotas. I appreciate, man, that you guys are speaking out heavy on this. Do reach out to me. Phone number 605-517-2621. Call me, brothers. Ho-ho. Kasusi. Maaneko. 
Chanupa, always, always appreciate when you call into the show with all that, uh, all that energy and all that pride uh, representing your people and all Native people uh, across the country. And Fred, I'd, I'd like you to go ahead and, and, and let you respond to that. Uh, Chanupa mentioned uh, some of your, uh, one of your Arapaho brothers and sisters who couldn't be on the show, uh, but uh, there's definitely uh, a lot of parallels here between Sand Creek and, uh, of course, Wounded Knee, as our caller Chanupa mentions. Yes, there certainly is. You know, we're, we're not the only tribe. You know, if you go back in history and look, even from the time of Plymouth Rock, you might say there's there's been massacres for, for, for our uh, Indian brothers. You know, that, so we, we're not the only ones that suffered. You know, we're talking about wounded knees. You know, that was a very, very um, drastic and, and, and horrific thing that happened to our Lakota brothers up there. And so when we talk like this, that's why we can, a lot of our brothers out there can recognize and feel what we felt when, when we went through this massacre because it has happened to their people. We are not the only ones. Appreciate it, Fred. Let's take another caller now, Michael, who is listening in Albuquerque, or excuse me, Jemez Pueblo, New Mexico, on station KUNM. KUNM is based in Albuquerque. Michael, hello. It's been a while since you called in. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, have a I have a break. Uh, I can't I can't listen while I'm driving a city bus, so I have a break. So I I turned it on and I said, oh man, this is a good topic because. Uh, Back in the 70s, a movie came out called Soldier Blue, and it depicted really, it really depicted the massacre. And, and uh, it, the, the, the people at the time, the natives at the time that watched that movie were crying, and it, it, it brought a wave of, of uh, education. People wanted to learn more and more, and that, that like, like, it's been said before, all tribes, a lot of tribes have gone through these atrocities, but it's, it's, it's depictions like that that brings it alive and brings it in panoramic view. And also another movie is The Last of the Dogmen. It's mentioned, it's, the historical value is in it, but it's not, it's, it's more, it's more theory, theory, and it, it, it tells what happened, but it's, and, and there's a, I don't know if it's fiction or not, of the rest of the story, but it's also, it's also a good uh, uh, movie to show the, what happened and, and at, at Sand Creek. And, but like I said, Soldier Blue, you can't down for the graphic, uh, 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 photography and cinemascope and all that. It's 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 an excellent movie to to get yourself familiar with Sand Creek. Michael, thank you for calling in and uh, be safe on that bus uh, in the streets of Albuquerque there. And uh, Fred, I'd like you to respond to that because Michael suggests uh, some of these popular media sources like movies and and other uh, things like that to get some of this information about Sand Creek and other history and. Um, what do you think about that? Do you recommend people uh, learn some of these stories through popular media, or are there better ways to learn this stuff? Well, you know, that's that's like he said that that the uh, media of the movies is probably the best way that they can begin to hear and 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 take notice of of, of things that have happened. And he's right. You know, I, I've seen Soldier Blue, and it does does depict the Sand Creek massacre. You know, and the atrocities that went on there. 
you know, but they can't really show really what happened. It's worse than what the movies show of what went on there. But it gives them an idea of what happened, and it does tell them, and it does then begin to let them know who the victims were, the Southern Cheyenne, the Southern Rappos. That's who the victims of Sand Creek were. So, yes, it's a good way to start to learn, but then you need to look into history. You need to start looking back into the the interviews of the, of the descendants, you know, the people. Their people were there. Then you're really going to hear the stories of what happened, and those are, are the stories that are really, really heart-wrenching. Let's bring in our third guest, uh, Sam Bach, and he is the lead exhibit developer for the Sand Creek Massacre Exhibition, and he's a historian for History Colorado. Sam, this sounds like such a daunting task to adequately consider all these perspectives, uh, tribal stakeholders and others. What drove your need to see it all through? Well, you know, awareness is the number one thing here, and I think, you know, in Colorado... Sand Creek is almost unknown, and it's it's almost unbelievable how few people learn about it in uh, in school. You know, it's shameful that Soldier Blue is the best way to learn about it. And so, I think you know we were we were all driven by the need to share this story and and get it out there. You know, from from the perspective of the people that it happened to, because that's another big oversight that you know Fred Fred said earlier that. You know, or sorry, Chester said earlier, it's almost it's almost never the Cheyenne or Arapaho stories that are told. It's the government story that's told. And Sam, when we reflect on the history, uh, what do we really need to know here? I mean, there was confusion among the military and elected leaders. There was this pathological colonel who was bent on eradicating Native people, whether they posed a threat or not. And there was even an initial celebration of the massacre by officials what are some of the other important details? Well, the first thing is that, you know, a lot of the officials in Denver and, and people celebrated the massacre because they were told by the Colonel Shivington um, that the massacre was this great battle and this great victory. But just a couple days later, soldiers who were actually there, like Silas Sewell and Joseph Kramer, uh, made it back to Denver and wrote letters to their commanding officers and to the U.S. government to say, hey, you know, this was a crazy, brutal, unbelievable atrocity, not a great, glorious battle. And, and so the story of the massacre has been told as a massacre since the moment that it happened. But the power behind the government and the power behind, you know, hundreds of years of whitewashing has injected a little bit of doubt, I think, for a lot of people in the story. So really, this exhibit is about telling the real truth, you know, of what happened at at Sand Creek. And I think the other big thing that the people don't understand about the Sand Creek massacre is that this is how Colorado became a state. This is why the Cheyenne and Arapaho people were removed from Colorado. This is about gold. This is about statehood, and it's about who gets to live here. And without understanding Sand Creek, we can't understand how Colorado came to be uh, part of the United States. Really, really interesting conversation we're having today. If you'd like to join us, 1-800-996-2848. That's the number to call in. Our phone lines are currently open, so if you get a call in, we'll get you on the air. 1-800-996-2848. A 
the focus of our show today, this new exhibition at History Colorado Center in Denver. It's a museum, and the exhibit is titled The Sand Creek Massacre, The Betrayal That Changed Cheyenne and Arapaho People Forever. And we are getting Native perspectives on our show today. We have two gentlemen from both uh, the Southern Cheyenne and the Arapaho tribes who contributed uh, their expertise and their insights into making sure that this exhibit is historically and culturally accurate. And uh, that's new. That's uh, a very new um, approach. Uh, this story has been told before many times, but not with Native consultation the way it has been told now today here at the History Colorado Center in Denver. So we're going to continue this conversation after a short break. Again, the number to call, 1-800-99-NATIVE, or just go on our Facebook or Twitter and uh, leave a comment there if you'd like. But definitely participate in this conversation. We definitely want our listeners to be involved. So we'll be right back. Stay with us. Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications are accepted through May 31st at collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribalrelations. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're continuing our conversation now about a new exhibition telling the history of the Sand Creek Massacre. The exhibition is at the History Colorado Center in Denver, and you can join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. We have another caller on the line now, Philip, who is listening in Rosebud, South Dakota, on station KOYA. Hello, Philip. Oh, Mitakwepi, Holakcha, Le Tokia Wiana First to run towards the sun. That is who I am, Malakota, spiritual name. My English name is Philip Little Thunder Sr. from Rosewood, South Dakota. I uh, first took part in the Sand Creek Massacre walk run two, three years ago, and all the young people. They were runners, so they took off, and uh, I was, you know, I'm 65 years old, so I I, I got lost out there in the uh, Sand Hills of Colorado, and uh, I knew where they were going, so I ended up over there, downtown Denver, uh, Memorial Powell, Sand Creek Island. But, you know, the gentleman before me talked about feeling spirits out there, and I felt something out there, too, and I offered tobacco and sang a song for them, and you know, I took part in that Memorial Powwow, and just this few months ago, we we did a walk. Uh, mom, I changed the name of of uh, Mount Evans to uh, Blue Sky Walk uh, from uh, Sand Creek Massacre site. But the problem I have is uh, a lot of the, you know, as a, I'm a descendant of Blue Water Creek Massacre, 1855, and you know, some places they they have all these things about the battle. You know, it was never a battle at all. It was a massacre. They, you know, they got caught unaware and killed off. So that's kind of the point I wanted to make this uh, radio announcement or talk. So I appreciate the time, and, uh, you know, I, I, I support my, my Rappo and Cheyenne brothers and sisters down there, and that's why I've been down there with my buddy Paul and Tim. Um, 
So that's well, Phil, kind of what I wanted to say. Thank you. Well, Philip, we sure do appreciate you calling in today and sharing your insights, joining the conversation. Uh, again, the number one 800 for anyone else who wants to join us today. And uh, I'd like to go back to Sam. And, and Sam, Philip raises a really good point with regard to, to this Mount Evans and named after John Evans, who had a role in the Sand Creek Massacre. And, of course, uh, Colonel Chivington is not remembered well in history, but, but he's never faced any official reprimand. And um, do you think that in any way that, uh, you know, Mount Evans and, and Colonel Chivington and, and, and the way that these legacies have never been really uh, re-examined, uh, how much of a disservice is that to an accurate portrayal of history? And, and what's, what are your thoughts on that, Sam? Well, I think the disservice is obvious because not only is the name of the place not reflective of the original people of the land, but it reflects the violence and the betrayal of the person who was responsible for protecting the original inhabitants of this land. And, you know, he's he's not a person who we should be looking up to as a role model. I don't I don't think anybody's kids should look at John Evans and think, yeah, that's that's what I want my kids to be like when they grow up. You know, I think that, you know, the the broader point about all of these renamings is that for the longest time Americans haven't thought about the native peoples. And I'm you know, I white Americans haven't thought about the native peoples of the land. And that is that is the biggest problem, and that's that's what you know trying to be addressed here, and that's that's the biggest promise of renaming these places, and um, it's it's reminding everyone that there were these violent incidents, um, these horrible atrocities that led to our modern world. Now the exhibition has been open since November, I believe. So it's you know it's a few months now, more than a few months, and has it had any effect on on these recent calls to change the name of Mount Evans? Well, I'd like to think that it has because I work at the museum and, and we see a lot of people coming through. There's been a lot of interest in the exhibition, a lot of interest in the Sand Creek Massacre. A lot of people are learning. The effort to change Mount Evans has been really moving forward thanks to tribal representatives like Chester and Fred and, and the other folks we worked with for the Sand Creek exhibit at History Colorado. Um, and so I think, you know, it's, it's all part of this growing awareness and, and a growing willingness in Colorado to really understand the real history, to not just ignore the hard parts and not just ignore the violence, but to really understand the actual process and what happened. And History Colorado's involvement, uh, the museum's goals and What's changed within the organization, your organization, um, from, from learning about this ex exhibition and then also from just trying to tell this story in the past? I think, you know, we really learned a big lesson from that exhibit that opened and then the tribes asked for us to close in 2012. And the biggest lesson is to listen. You know, it's, it's not a story that um, you can tell in a complete way without listening to the to the descendants of the people that it happened to. And we're just so grateful that the representatives we worked with, including Fred and Chester, were willing to to tell us these stories and to share these things. And 
it's hard. There's nothing that isn't hard about the Sand Creek Massacre, but, you know, especially for people, you know, who live this every day and, um, you know, for whom this is part of family history, they don't have an obligation to share this story, but, but it, but they did. And I think, you know, once you listen and once you hear from them, you really understand the importance. And that's, that's really what's changed is hearing the importance, the personal importance and the ongoing trauma. You know, this is a real thing that people think about all the time. Um, and so understanding all of that just, just helps you get how important this event is. Earlier, we heard from callers mentioning the parallels between Sand Creek and, and Wounded Knee. And of course, there have been uh, countless tragedies uh, throughout Native America uh, since the beginning of European contact. And uh, do you think you're getting interest from other historians and other museums that are interested in, in retelling some of these stories? And if so, uh, how are you going to go about helping to facilitate that? Yeah, that's a great question. We've, we've had a lot of folks uh, from here in Colorado reach out from all over the state to, you know, for various things. A lot of them want us to help them get in touch with folks like Fred and Chester to, to be able to tell the story in an authentic way, you know, from, from the perspective of the people this happened to. I think, um, you know, it's all part of a broader recognition that American history has been told from a very whitewashed perspective for you know, 400 years. And that that's an incomplete story, and frankly, it's it's not as interesting as telling the complete story. So, you know, not only are, are museums and universities and schools around Colorado looking, you know, to understand the St. Greg Massacre better, but I think they're looking to understand a more complete history of the state, which, you know, I think to me is really encouraging because it just means that we're all starting to realize how incomplete and how frankly, racially biased, all of these these history organizations have been for so long. Sam, for people that won't be able to travel to Denver to see the exhibition in person, are any of these uh, resources or any of these texts or any of these um, exhibits available online? Yeah, a few things are available. We're always working to get more stuff online. So uh, the History Colorado website is historycolorado.org. We're uh, working to get a lot of the oral histories that we used in this exhibition that our travel representatives were generous enough to share with us. We're working to get those online so people can begin to understand what happened. We also made a companion exhibit book that contains a lot of the words and the pictures and the evidence that our travel representatives like Fred and Chester helped us put together. Uh, and that book is also available on our website. We've got another caller. This is Devin listening on KOYA. And Devin's up in Wind River, Wyoming. Den uh, Devin, thanks for calling in. Yeah, thank you for having me. Okay, hey, um, um, who do I have the pleasure of listening to right now with, 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 uh, from the, the, uh, the organization History Colorado? Uh, Mr. Sam Bach. Okay, Sam. What is what is Sam's position within History Colorado? Sam, uh, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and let you respond to that. Sam, I know you're involved in the sure. exhibit. Yeah, I'm the I'm the lead exhibit developer. 
for the Sand Creek exhibit at History Colorado. Okay. I have a little bit of a question for you. I have a little bit of a question for you. I have a little bit of a question for and then at this time, who Hinane and Nina Ati and Chi. So, what I said was, uh, hello, my relatives. My name is Walks Out of Water. I come from the people. Um, it's good to be here with you all today to speak about our way of life, right? Our way of life in regards to Cherry Creek, which is a creek, right, that used to go right through the municipal district of uh, Denver, Colorado, right? And so, um, the they, um, what I wanted to touch on here is, you know, I was just listening briefly to the conversation. And, um, you know, if you want to know where Colorado's history begins, you know, you, you talk to the Cheyenne and the Arapaho tribes along with the Utes and the Comanches that used to be there along with the Apaches. And that's where you start. Um, unfortunately for us, the people, the real keepers of the history, you know, when, we, when you look in regards to those things um, on reservations right now, a lot of the keepers of that sacred knowledge are the poor people, They're the people that you don't interact with outside of the Indian Reorganization Act governments. So I'm going to reference to go back to those reservations to reach out to those said families who still have all that knowledge with regards to treaty making, right? You're going to look at the Treaty of the Little Arkansas. You're going to look at the Treaty of Fort Wise. You're going to look at the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaty and how they reference an old way of life that we forced the federal government to look at us as nations and human beings, right? Because they could not defeat us in the field of battle. The only time they could defeat us in the field of battle was in times like Sand Creek, and that wasn't even a battle, right? When they forced us in destitution and food scarcity and despair, disparity of resources such as land and water, access to water, access to hunting, right? And they took our rifles away, and they said, go stay at that fort and we'll protect you. And they failed to do so, right? Just exhibiting the, the, the methodology and how Sand Creek unfolded with regards to the state militias and the cavalrymen that went and, you know, produced this said massacre. Okay. Right? And so that's what I'm going to tell the state people within the history of Colorado to reference is go back to these reservations and look at the poor people, man. You know, I, I used to work as the tribal historic preservation officer for six years, and I consulted with the History Colorado and it was one of their people within that said organization that also was the reason I walked away from that job because they were still purporting the divide and conquer narrative because I was okay. standing up for these beliefs. I was standing up for these things that I'm referencing. Right, All right Devin, so really appreciate you calling in today. And, um, you know, Devin, what, what you speak to, uh, that's why this show is called Native America Calling because we want people like you to call in with those perspectives. And sometimes... It's not about having a PhD. It's not about uh, being some tribal leader. It's about just being a regular native person, a concerned tribal member such as yourself, who has opinions, who has insights, who has expertise to offer, and really appreciate you pointing that out. And Sam, I want to let you respond because um, how, how much of an effort is there? Obviously, you know, we have Chester on the show. We have um, also have... Uh, <clears throat> on the show, we have uh, Fred, but but other just just regular people from these tribes who have it, who are invested in this issue, who are invested in this history to such a great degree, such as our caller Devin. How how much of an effort is it is made to include those voices as well? 
Well, first, I want to say thanks to Devin, and I think Devin's exactly right. The the importance of getting these histories from not not from the sources, not looking at the just the U.S. government sources is it's unbelievably important. And you can't. I don't think any history organization should be making exhibits only based on the U.S. government's accounts of these things because they're unreliable, because they're biased, and because you know for the longest time. That's that's the way people have said this is the history, right? And it's about the power and control that people who in who have been in my position have exerted over this narrative. And so my goal is to make sure that that doesn't keep happening because that's not that's not an honest history, and that doesn't okay. show what really happened. I think the other thing to know here is that you know we have a really strong relationship with these tribal representatives, the representatives from these governments, you know, that you, like you said, that were, that were set up um, in response to the, to the unvanquished, unconquered Native peoples of, of Colorado. And we work, you know, as a, as a state government with the representatives, and we, we, it was three years, really, of constant contact with with these people, but you know they aren't—they aren't the only story keepers. And a lot of our representatives said, you know, there's been a lot of recordings, there's been a lot of work done with the elders, with the people that Devin is talking about, who hold these stories, done over the years. You know, for the last 20, 25 years since um, the Sand Creek Massacre National Historic Site was developed. And you know, we're really proud that the stories that came from those people are available to hear uh, in the exhibit and online. Well, we have reached the end of our show. I, I want to thank our guests, Chester Whiteman, Fred Mosqueda, and Sam Bach for joining us to share insights regarding the exhibition. Uh, again, it's titled The Sand Creek Massacre, The Betrayal That Changed Cheyenne and Arapaho People Forever. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow for a conversation about the upcoming Indigipop X. That's a native pop culture gathering at the first, excuse me, the first Americans Museum in Oklahoma City. I'm Sean Spruce. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A M E R I N D.com. This program is supported by AmeriCorps VISTA. You can kickstart your career by joining thousands of AmeriCorps members in the VISTA program serving to alleviate poverty. AmeriCorps members help organizations make change right in their own community. A service opportunity that fits your ambition can be found at AmeriCorps.gov VISTA today. That's A-M-E-R-I-C-O-R-P-S dot G-O-V slash V-I-S-T-A. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.